for someone that's getting into the game, I think for me, a lot of it is timing, you know, is when are you getting into the brand? Everybody wants their brand recognition. Everybody wants to get in. Well, guess what? The best territories are sold. They're gone. The existing franchisees, if it's a good brand, the organic growth from existing franchisees, they're grabbing up the territory. You know, if these you're doing well and they're cash flowing really well, you're just dumping that money into more units and buying up territory. And if you're not, someone else is in the system. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's the Wolf. Today on the show, I'm super excited to share my conversation with Eric Danver. Eric is a massive multi-unit and multi-brand franchisee. He started with a Papa John's location in 1996 and grew that to 53 locations before selling them all in 2021. Nine years ago, he started building hand-in-stone massage locations, and today he owns 58 units that generate almost $85 million a year in revenue. And Eric's most recent franchise investment is into Ace Pickleball, the fast-growing pickleball franchise that I've spoken about before. I've had the founder on and, you know, I've invested uh, into that franchise myself. And during our conversation, Eric shares his journey building Papa John's, why he sold and the struggles restaurant owners face today, as well as why he's super bullish on growing his hand in stone massage portfolio. And of course, why he's excited to be a franchisee of Ace Pickleball and why he decided to jump in. We cover a lot. It's an amazing conversation covering multiple different franchise industries. I think you guys are going to love this. Eric's a real empire builder. Enjoy. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek, and Wolfpack franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. Crushing your dinner rush is table stakes. You need the HR and payroll solution that keeps you and your staff prepped for tomorrow. Paylocity helps HR focus on your employees by making recruitment smarter and onboarding faster. Visit paylocity.com slash restaurants. That's a massive portfolio, man. I think you said 96 for the Papa John's? 96, we opened the first one, April 96, yeah. So what were you doing before that? And was it in Jersey where you opened it too, or were you elsewhere? So I was a regional guy for Domino's. I started out with Domino's Pizza in 89 with two kids making $5 an hour as a manager in training. Yeah. You know, really always liked food, you know, always liked to rush, was, you know, short order cook as a kid, that kind of thing. So went into Domino's, loved the brand, loved what I was doing and, you know, became a regional manager, then a corporate operations director. So I worked my way up pretty quick. They were growing so fast then. Yeah. It was floating wolf, you know, where, you know, so it was a good run with them for about six years. And then a small world, a guy that was an accountant for Domino's who used to handle my P&Ls and things was working for a small private equity firm in Baltimore. They had done some consulting work with Papa John's, wanted to franchise, but needed an operator. So he said, this is the guy. And one thing led to another. And that's how I met them. And 
it was a big decision for me at the time because, you know, my father always been somebody I go to for advice. And he said, Eric, you know, you're young, give it a shot. And it turned out to be a great thing. So yeah, that's how I got started with the Papa John's. Wow. Okay. So Domino's corporate into owning and operating Papa John's. Yeah. So started out as an operating partner for them and then eventually became a full partner over the years, you know, and, you know, we started out with a 12 store development agreement and we ended up opening 20 locations in 40 months. So we were really cranking them out. And then Papa John's International bought us out at the end of 99. So went to work for them for a couple of years as part of that agreement. And then ended up buying 10 stores in Delaware and then ended up buying back the stores that I had sold them. So built the portfolio up to about 53. We had 53 locations at one time and then, you know, bought and sold and then you know, got out after COVID, as I mentioned. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about that. Like that, I guess it was that private equity group you said that started it all. So, you know, we don't have to get into specifics, but generally like, were they just putting in all the capital and you were the person who had to run it all? And that's kind of how the, and I'm sure there's yeah. equity split for your sweat. Yeah. That's basically the gist of, you know, like an operating partner, you know, where they gave you a piece of equity for, they put the capital behind it. So it was really two partners. They went out to some friends and raised some money. And back then you could build out a Papa John's for 150 K, you know, it was pretty cheap, you know? And, um, yeah, so we were just cranking them out. I mean, think about it, 20 units in 40 months to one year I opened eight, you know, we were just killing it from April to the end of December. I opened five that first year, then eight, then I think it was six, and then we were bought out 40 months, less than four years. So, Jeez. Yeah. That's crazy. Would you, I mean, I think you said after that, you eventually like ended up building 10 of your own. You know, was that, was that personal capital or, you know, mixed? Yeah. Or, yeah. Different group of investors. You know, we, we obviously had a good track record, got a really good return for our investors when we pulled out. So, you know, there was a lot of interest in putting some money behind us. So we just went out, raised some capital, bought the 10, and then ended up buying New Jersey and Philadelphia from corporate. They had come in, you know, companies, come, these public trading companies, there's a, today it's growth, tomorrow it's, so it kind of changes with the wind. So at that time, they really wanted to develop a bunch of units in Philadelphia and then got in the market, found how tough of a market it is, kind of got their teeth kicked in and said, you know what? we don't really want to be a part of this. And I stepped in and took them over and, you know, we bought those stores and ran them for quite a few years. What made you, I guess, confident if corporate's having a hard time in, in Philly in the pizza game, you know, you thought you could figure it out? The Jersey market, because I built the, the stores and, you know, had done well with them. And I mean, listen, you know, knowing the market, you come out from outside of Philly, you come into Philly, it's different. The people are different where I grew up. And, you know, so I know the lay of the land, if you will. So um, it worked out really well. You know, this is interesting because right, Papa John's is such a big brand. Yeah, you know, I had McDonald's franchise owners on a few weeks ago on the show, but haven't had too many like franchisees of like the publicly traded companies. So I guess how much like freedom did you have in the sense of like corporate was struggling? You thought you could go in there, you know, like you said, you, you need the lay of the land. But like, I guess in my head, and I bet you other, you know, some of the listeners heads, they're probably thinking, well, it's Papa John's, the franchise door. Like they're just telling you exactly what you have to do and you, you don't have an inch to like change. So like, were you able to do things differently from like a marketing perspective or like, how can you actually like within the, the, the boundaries of the franchise agreement, how are you really able to make a difference where all of a sudden you're not getting your teeth kicked in in Philadelphia? 
I think you talk to any business owner today, you know, and you ask them, what's your biggest challenge? They're going to say what it was 35 years ago, which it's always been the same. It's people, yeah. you know, and hey, there it is. that's created today for sure. There's yeah. no question, you know, it's tougher than it's ever been, but that same issue has always been there. And so I think for me, I had a good following of people that liked working for me that felt like I was, you know, committed to them as well as, you know, their commitment to me. I mean, when I opened my first Papa John's, when I left Domino's, I took six managers with me, which wasn't, you know, <laughs> wasn't the greatest thing for Domino's, but I had a lot of loyalty. So when I, you know, went back to do Philadelphia, I think some of the people were still there working for corporate. But I think, I mean, to your point, you know, you're really locked into the marketing. You know, there's only so many things you can do, but operationally, I think is where you can excel and better people, better operations. In the pizza delivery business, it's all about speed, efficiency, things like that. So certainly, you know, cost control, all the things that I think we really got good at with our experience. And when you're working for a bigger company, I think people just lose some interest in that. I think that was a big part of it. Amazing. So that group, you know, that kind of initiative, how big did it get? So we were up to 53 units. We were doing, you know, about at that time, I think about 45 million in revenue a year. So we built a nice business. You know, the margins continue to get tighter and tighter over the years. But the early days, these things were really cash cows. I mean, we were putting the key in the door. The brand, you know, the recognition really wasn't there when we first opened our first store. But again, we had six guys that knew the pizza delivery business like the back of their hand. I really felt at that time, I think there was a huge delta between the Domino's pizza and Papa John's pizza, you know, was significantly different. They certainly closed that gap, but I knew from guys that had left Domino's, the train was coming and the pizza was for a chain pizza. It was just really good. And, um, so we just went, yeah, busters, man, people just, that was before social media, of course, but people's word of mouth was just, people loved it. Yeah. And it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like your edge was just from your Domino's experience and the team you were able to almost transfer from those days was it the operationally you just were able to really excel yeah the, the, the model is exactly the same i mean you know it, it was a copycat just a better pizza you know and and look the founder john schneider the things that he used to say better ingredients better pizza i mean he absolutely was committed to a quality product pizza and and really went to great lengths to that differentiator and that quality of food was there i mean certainly again they i think domino's did a nice job in making their product a better pizza but back in those days it was significant in knowing what you know now right you've mentioned how i mean people sounds like people's always been the, the hardest challenge for a small business owner obviously true today but, you know, you mentioned like some of the costs to build like that. I mean, 150K for Papa John's locations, probably 10 to 20 times that today, depending on the market. Yeah. Do you think, and even like, let's just say it's a new owner who doesn't have experience in the pizza business like you had coming from Domino's. I mean, I don't know how to ask this other than like, is it worth it? Like that, the investment it takes for someone to build, obviously, into multi-units? Or do you think you were just, A, like, you had the right experience and you clearly had the, you were a good leader, had the right team to place into this system. But like for the, someone aspiring to just get into the game, you know, from ground zero, do you think it's a kind of, oh, listen, I don't know where that tipping point is, you know, first off on scale, you know, like getting too big and, and, you know, there's profitability 
if you start adding overhead, there's a lot of variables into how big you want to get and what your long-term goals are and your strategies, for sure. For someone that's getting into the game, I think for me, a lot of it is timing, you know, is when are you getting into the brand? Everybody wants their brand recognition. Everybody wants to get in. Well, guess what? The best territories are sold. They're gone. Yeah. The existing franchisees, if it's a good brand, the organic growth from existing franchisees, they're grabbing up the territory. You know, if these you're doing well and they're cash flowing really well, you're just dumping that money into more units and buying up territory. And if you're not, someone else is in the system. So, you know, I think for Papa John's in particular, and this is just my opinion, I think that train left many, many years ago. You know, it's probably 400K plus to build one today or or more. Yeah. I don't even know. I haven't built one in a long time, but I know <laughs> the cost of construction, what it is today. So, and getting that return in the market so saturated. Listen, if there was a good trade market, it would have been grabbed up 15 years ago by another franchisee. So listen, can you as a mom and pop operator come in and do really well with a new location? Sure, I, I, it's possible, but you're going to have to do M&A to really yep. build a big company. It just isn't going to happen organically with a brand that has that many units across the country. So, And when you exited in 2021, was that uh, to another bigger franchisee or to corporate? Yeah. So that time we were down to 20 units. We were profitable. Things were good, you know, and, and just the grind of the people and post COVID we went through, you know, when John Schneider made the comments that went out and all the, you know, it just killed the brand. It killed everybody. You know, we got punished, you know, and this is where you learn how reliant you are on your franchisor for so many things. But certainly when people don't equate that we're individual business owners and have nothing really to do with that founder and his beliefs or his statements. I mean, it was horrible. You know, you couldn't order Papa John's at work. So our day part business went to nothing. You couldn't, our school lunches, the schools cut us off. We had sports partnerships with the Phillies, the Sixers, the Eagles. Each one of them terminated our agreements. So it was just devastating to the brand. So we went through a couple of really hard years and then I certainly, you know, with what happened to a lot of families and people with COVID, I would never want to say there was anything positive that came out of it. But from a business perspective, you know, I couldn't have been in two better businesses than uh, my hand and stone business and my Papa John's business because we were the experts at delivery. So we did very, very well and then sold post COVID where the ramp, the run up was really good on the revenue and got us back to a good position. So quite a roller coaster. I couldn't even. Yeah, it truly was. Yeah. Holy crap. Well, let's talk about Hand Stone too. I think it's always interesting. Uh, I've noticed this trend. It's obviously not true 100% of the time. You're one of like what I would call to me an exception where a lot of, at least in the franchise realm, there's like the food operators where most of them just want to stick in restaurants like you know, they're in Papa John's and maybe they want to go into like Burger King or just, you know, something, some non-competitive but adjacent concept. And then there's other franchise owners who they don't start in food and they are totally fine going into any industry. They can own an Orange Theory and then, I don't know, maybe a massage parlor or a laundromat, you know, anything. doesn't matter. They're just in it for the franchise itself. So what was that decision like to get the hair? Yeah, so 
you know, I was a client for a couple of years, loved, always been active, always, you know, and loved massages and just never really had a place that was, you know, middle market reasonably priced to get a massage, the hand in stone, got a gift card, I think for Christmas or something and went in, was a client for a couple of years. My wife was, and, you know, behind every good man's a better woman. My wife said to me at some point, this might be a good business to get in. And I love the food business. I love everything about it. I work really well with guys and it just, you know, everything about it was my wheelhouse. But I have to tell you, you know, after 25 years in that business as a franchise owner, I was really done with food for the most part. You know, it's the margins are just so tough. And, yeah, you know, there's so many things, just headwind challenges. You know, I think especially on the people side of it, kids don't want to work in QSR anymore. You know, they don't want to work the hours in restaurants, you know, and I just, I never will claim to be the smartest guy in a room, that's for sure. But instinctively, I just felt like I had to diversify and go to something else. And so when my wife suggested it, I started doing my due diligence, looked at Massage Envy, looked at Hand and Stone, and just felt like clearly from every box, you know, the leadership team, the franchisor, the aesthetic side of the business, again, had a little bit of an instinct that might be a differentiator, but not realizing how much of a game changer that would be down the road because it's become 40% of our business now and it's just growing by leaps and bounds, this beauty and wellness stuff. People just, so yeah, so started out with a, a development agreement with them and just love the business, love everything about it. And just, it's been great. That's amazing. And what year did you first get in to hand it some? Yeah, so it's been it just celebrated nine years in October. So it was 2015. I opened our first spa down in Northern Virginia and opened a couple of spas and then started the MA stuff. Really, you know, grown the business. We're at 58 units now. We'll do 85 million in revenue this year. So we've built a nice sized business. And my goal is possibly bring in a partner and grow this thing to kind of double in size over the next three, four years. So that's kind of the plan. That's phenomenal. Nine years ago. And wow. Yeah. 17 acquisitions last year to DeNovo. So we did 19 spas last year. I've got three on the Q1. Kind of slowed down a little bit to start our process with the, an IB and, you know, in the midst of that. So, um, yeah. Okay. That's phenomenal. I didn't realize how big it was. How'd you get Northern Virginia being uh, a New Jersey native? Because that's, that's a prime, that's like the deep territory for franchises. Well, it's so funny you say this because that's exactly what I thought. You know, this is why I prefaced earlier by saying I'm not the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> so I'll give you, you know, I think whatever concept you're in, you always learn so much. You know, I don't think there could be a more simplistic business than the Papa John's model. You know, there's only so many SKUs, you know, there's just not a lot of product. They've got the QCC you order from, I mean, the POS system so buttoned up. I mean, it's as simple as it could be, you know, compared to other restaurants, QSRs. But then you go into Hand and Stone and it's the complexity is crazy because of all the moving parts. But I thought, so I knew New Jersey, I knew I wanted to do multi-unit and New Jersey was where the company was founded. So the saturation in the Philadelphia DMA was, you know, pretty saturated. So I Again, back to my earlier point is what territories are left are probably not the premium ones when the brand has kind of built out that market. So I thought my business partners with my Papa John's were down in Baltimore. So they, I knew the real estate a little bit down there. They knew it well. I brought them on kind of on a consulting basis. They got a little bit of equity of my business here. So I thought, I'm going to go to Baltimore. 
So I started doing my due diligence and really found out that, you know, Northern Virginia real estate was pretty much on par with Baltimore, not much of a difference. So I thought, I want to build a bunch of these. Northern Virginia, everything does great in Northern Virginia. Yeah. Go down the laundry list of food and any concept. It's just, it's a the density, the income, everything's there, right? Well, it turns out that, you know, it's probably my worst market huh. <laughs> because I think we're Hand in Stone is kind of the sweet spot. The really high-end consumer probably doesn't want a chain concept. Yeah. You know, the women want to be able to say, I went to Four Seasons or I went to... So it just... Uh, Envies do pretty well down there, but um, we've never cracked a code to really break through. So it's actually... If it wasn't for m and I probably wouldn't... I, I know I wouldn't be where I am because that's where, you know, the acquisitions in the Carolinas and in Florida and Tennessee and some of the other states were in eight states. So that's been really, really helpful for my business model. Well, it's funny, as you're saying that, that tell the story of the Northern Virginia market. I mean, I realized early on, I think it was like season one or two of this podcast, I interviewed the two partners who are the Massage Envy franchisees in the Northern Virginia area. And they've done pretty, pretty phenomenal. And yeah. they started yeah. in 2009, 2010, I think. Yeah, it's that their first store is still doing the very healthy numbers. They got about five in the area. So yeah, who knows? Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's like massage envy country to a degree. I, I mean, yeah, it's, and this business, a lot of it's tied to, again, the people, but the massage therapists yes. and getting in them. And they're really tied into the schools. They've done a great job down there. Actually, one of the franchisees owns a school down That's there. the ones so I talked to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're filtering their people out. So We've got some exciting stuff. I've got a JV with a guy now opening some schools. So I have one in- That's um, cool. Yeah, we've got one in Tampa opened. I've got one in Delaware that's opening and one in New Jersey. I've got a lease out there and some LOIs out in Virginia. So nice. we'll see if I can't catch them yeah. all. <laughs> awesome. I'm after yeah. them for sure. That's <laughs> good. They'll, they'll probably listen to this. So that'll be funny. Yeah. Is it just you or do you have like a, a right-hand person who- is with you on like evaluating all these M&A deals and picking new brands or are you kind of just, I mean, I'm sure you've got. Yeah, no, we've built a big company now. Yeah. I mean, I've got a chief financial officer that's been with me for years and years. I don't know how she puts up with me, but she was back with Papa John's for years and then transitioned over to this business. So she's really critical for me. I have a chief operating officer and then we've got two vice president of operations We've got a VP of training. We've got a director of aesthetics, director of massage, a recruiter, five people in our accounting office. So, and then 14 regional managers and then, you know, 58 spa managers. So yeah, we've got about 1300 employees. So, you know, we've got a big company, so we've got a lot of people behind it, but I handle most of the M&A stuff. You know, I've got the contacts with other franchisees and built good relationships with them. So that's kind of my wheelhouse and, you know, just kind of overseeing the operations and trying to keep my nose out of too much, but stay in it to, uh, you know, to help the team as support as much as I can. Yeah. A few questions there. I mean, I think one, just like your take, you know, especially comparing it or slash contrasting it right to the food operations world. I mean, I'm sure people are still your, your biggest problem, quote unquote, right with stone, but you know, do you feel like I'm going to guess the answer is yes, given that you said you're looking to even double, double down on all this, but can you tell us about like, the lack of headwinds, I assume, I guess, with like maybe, whereas, you know, we said, right, younger folks don't want to work in QSR. Is it 
easier to attract talent potentially, and also just the margins of the business. Whereas food, you know, all the food operators I've spoken to, like, it just, and you've said it, right? It keeps getting compressed and harder. And harder. Yeah. You know, are you able to like maintain some stability in the margins in this world? Yeah. I mean, listen, the first thing is, you know, the great news is it's it's still a problem, but we don't have a demand problem. We have a supply problem. The massage therapist is the biggest rub in the industry. And some of these schools are really where we think the key is, you know, where we can develop. You know, if I can, the gentleman that I partnered with you know, put out 90 students in his school in Jacksonville last year. He's been doing it for 10 years, so he really knows what he's doing. So these satellite schools, if I can pump out 40 MTs, a year, it's going to do a couple things. One is it's going to obviously, you know, allow for more clients to get in and see us. The demand is just there. I mean, it's, it's tremendous. You know, the uh, aesthetic side of the business just keeps growing and growing. We've introduced cryo skin this year. So just a lot of really tailwind kind of things with comparable sales growth. I mean, what attracted me to the hand and stone model from the beginning was really a couple things. One is the traffic that was still coming, we call them prospects. So it's a number of people coming into the spas that have never been in before in spas at that time that were four or five years old were the most mature spas. And we were seeing these numbers were 70, 80, 100, 120 people are coming in every week, week in, week out that have never tried us before. So I had really, really like that kind of traffic I hadn't really seen in a business where your ticket at that time was 60 bucks or whatever it was. So that was attractive. And the other thing was the comparable sales growth because of the membership model and continuing to grow those membership base on how much of a ramp up on comp sales. You know, a good year in the food business is three, four, five percent positive. These guys were posting double digit growth in these units year after year after year. So that was a big part of what attracted me to the concept. But you know, that the managers are easier to get for sure. I mean, this is a business women and men like to get into because it it feels fluffy. It's the spa industry. Certainly a lot of hard work. I think there's a lot of misconception on how hard it is because our managers really are backbone of our company and work so hard for us. But from that vantage point, certainly a tailwind compared to food for sure. And you know, I think I've said to many people, you know, when you grow up in food, you learn to control costs. That is your food and labor. It's cost of goods and payroll, yep. right? So you really get good at that. And the low volume learnings that I had in Virginia, those spas have certainly built up, but you learn sales revenue hides a multitude of sins. So when you get good at controlling costs and then you run into a business like this, you just kind of take those strengths with you. So that's been, you know, one of the things that's been positive. So our margins are on a four wall EBITDA, you know, somewhere 18, 20%, you know, in that range. So much better than my grocery store margins at Papa John's towards the end, you know, yeah. <laughs> that three, four, 5% was tough. Wow. That's what you love to hear, especially, yeah, that's everyone's biggest fear. I think sometimes with the franchise, especially folks newer to it, it's like, they're just like, what's my EBITDA after the royalty, right? And it is a ramp up for sure. I mean, we've targeted on the M&A side, more mature spas that are already doing significant revenue and, and significant cash flow just in this spirit of transparency, you know, that ramp up that first year is painful. The second year gets a little better. You know, it, it's yep. definitely a concept that takes time. I don't think it's a European wax center where you immediately out of the gate, you've got, it takes time to build yeah. for sure. Crushing your dinner rush is table stakes. You need the HR and payroll solution that keeps you and your staff prepped for tomorrow. 
Paylocity for Restaurants and Hospitality helps HR focus on your employees by making recruitment smarter and onboarding faster. Plus, tools to train and engage staff whenever and wherever they work. Focus on what you do best. Go to paylocity.com slash restaurants. I also want to talk about, because I think what's pretty clear is your kind of prowess for M&A within these franchise systems. So we, we had someone on a while ago who effectively did that within Wingstop and we've had other franchisees, you know, that's what they do. They've worked really hard. Some of them had a, a kind of like an in to the brand that they're a part of. Others didn't and had to just really fight to like get in front of the franchisor and get an opportunity. But I guess, you know, I want to ask you, because you even said it's kind of your specialty is like, you know, networking with the other franchisees. I mean, there's someone listening to this who's a single unit owner of say like a big brand where there is a lot of selling happening. How do you build that relationship, right? And how do you be one of their first phone calls when they're like, hey, Eric, you know, I'm looking to sell. Are you interested? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, you know, Wolf, I, it's probably the way I, I was raised, you know, it's just being a good person, you know, like I'm very fair in how I deal with people. And, you know, I think that's what the success that I've had with, you know, our teams and just, you know, on the M&A side is just, I think it starts with that is, you know, and I go out of my way to try and help people wherever I can. You know, I do a lot of calls where we're all busy. I don't really want to take the time to help somebody with something, but, you know, people have done it for me my whole career. So, you know, I think it just starts with that. You know, certainly when I'm at all the conferences, I go with a lot of town hall meetings, you know, I just interact with the franchisees and see, is there a way I can help them with some of my experience? When you're new, people were so gracious for me of trying to learn this business, because again, I don't care what you're doing, that learning curve. And that was really, you know, in hindsight, you know, it was just so great. In two of them, three of my kids work for me in the business. My two daughters moved to Virginia, opened the first couple stores and learned this business intimately. So I think there's a process of learning the business. And then you get to the point where you're like, okay, we've got this down now. And now smart growth, I guess I would call it. So, and look, I'm always knocking on doors. I texted some guys today that I've been chasing for a year now that have some very high volume spas that I'd love to get and just said, Hey, sometimes it's timing. Sometimes two managers quit and they're like, uh, you know, and you hit them at the right time. So I just try and stay in touch with people. And I'd imagine it requires probably a bit of patience too, right? Where need yeah, that timing. The big volume deals do for sure. It's funny. And then, you know, e- even like, let's say post acquisition, because I think you said you have locations down to the Carolinas. I mean, w- what is that like where, you know, you're based here in the North, you know, the New Jersey Philly area, and you just become the owner of this business multiple states away. And how do you retain that team, keep people motivated, you know, find a new manager? What is that whole process like? I mean, it's all about the people again. You know, we have the chief operating officer overseeing everything, and then we have the two VPs. So I have a North VP and a South VP. My South VP has Florida, Carolinas, Tennessee, and Virginia. My Northern is Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. So they're overseeing those units and their regional managers. And just there is always when you're a mom and pop owner, and this is one of the challenges on the M and A. If I, you know, I do a lot of multi-spa deals on M&A, but also I'll do a one-off. You know, I've got a one-off coming up and then a Tuesday in, in, uh, somewhere in uh, the Carolinas. And 
the disconnect is when you're an owner and you're in your spa all the time, and then we come in as this big company. We used to come in and tell people about all the opportunities that have with us. And what we found out was most of the staff didn't care about opportunities. They just wanted to know, what are you going to do for me? And so as a bigger company, we have advantages where we do a 5% match on our 401k. We pay about 70% of their healthcare benefits if they're full-time. We do PTO in every state, even in states we're not required to. You know, So we do a lot of things to because we can do those things and want to support our teams where a mom and pop owner maybe can't do those things. But the advantage they certainly have is that they're in those spas connecting with those people. So there's definitely a disadvantage to your point, Wolf, where you know, you're states away and you can't get in. People say to me all the time, some people don't even know me, right? And that's a problem in itself. But they'll say to me, oh, I haven't seen you in so long. I wish you would come around. People want to see the owner. Yeah. I, I'm not much to look at, but they, <laughs> they seem to like to, to see me, you know? So that's disappointing when you can't, you know, see everybody as much as you'd want and things like that. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we have, I've always said to my team, you know, we kind of get caught up in the negative where clients are complaining and you kind of get worn down. But there's so many wonderful people working so hard for us day in and day out. And what's it for me to pick up the phone, call somebody and say, thank you, or be in a location and be able to thank them. And yeah, so that's kind of the downside of it when you get really, you know, large. I also want to talk about Ace Pickleball because I'm super stoked. Yeah, no, I, I would. I was, well, let's lead the way. Here. I know. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's where I wanted to transition. Obviously, right, Papa John's, you got an early, massive brand, turns out to be. Uh, Handy Stone, yeah. you were, I'd say, fairly early on the trend, nine years ago. You know, yeah. not not as early maybe as Papa John's, but, you know, it, it wasn't, It's I'd say it's more saturated today in the massage, you know, between, I think, there's elements, there's, there's a few others. Massage fights. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you got a few there's of them. A few, I mean, yep. but obviously, I mean, you're... Uh, Envy and, and Hand and Stone are the big yep. players, for sure. Yeah, yeah. For the record, Wolf, yeah. just Hand and Stone's night and day above Massage Envy for so many reasons. But I'm telling you, I did my due diligence, and I am telling you, hands down. So I just got to get that plug in there because it's the truth. Company <laughs> man, you're a company man. I like. I'm a little biased, <laughs> but but it's true. Sure. Where? <laughs> yeah. So talk me through Ace Pickle. Obviously, for listeners who aren't aware, I am an investor in that concept. So anything I say, you know. It's not investment advice. I have a financial bias as well. So, all right, got that out of the way. <laughs> well, good for you because I didn't know that. So you oh, yeah. you are- Yeah, through with Joe. Yeah, obviously I had the opportunity and I'm excited. I know him super well and knew yeah. the founding team really well. So to yep. me, obviously it was atypical because normally I would be very hesitant for a brand that didn't have a corporate location yet. But just given their prowess and again, their experience in big box retail and franchising, like- you know, is so many similarities to what they did with Sky Zone, and then it was really just yeah. a question of how do I feel about pickleball? You know, after all this hype dies down, really, because there's a ton of right. noise around it. But it's like, can there actually be a viable business after it all dies down? And I, I obviously thought the answer was yes. But curious, yeah, what was your how? How'd you even hear them? How'd this all start? Yeah, no, and you know, you just hit on some of the concerns we had from the beginning. So I, uh, it's me and a couple of good friends that I stumbled upon this. Uh, w- one of my bold his business a couple times did very well in the private equity world. You know, selling his business a couple turns and fifty years old, and he's like out of work. You know, and he's like, I want to do something. And I said, Well, you know what? I have this brand that I've been you know following a little bit, and I I think we should really look at it. So. You know, our first concerns were, is it like racquetball? Is this going to fizzle out? You know, is this, and the more 
people we talked to, you know, the more we played, the more we just looked into it. We just felt it was so different than racquetball and really didn't feel like it's pie in the sky shot through the, just really felt strongly that this pickleball's here to stay. And for all the reasons, you know, you know, the indoor courts, just, you know, the wear and tear on your knees and joints and, you know, the wind, the heat, yeah. the, all the elements of saying, you know, like, where and you know the thing we hear more than anything is as people get better and better and this is so the demographics so wide you know it's from i love that three generations can be playing pickleball you know and competing just so many things that excited us about it but so definitely did our due diligence looked at a couple other concepts but i will yeah. tell you that um we were just really impressed with joe and these guys you know and and just what they were do what they had done because i think you have to do it to really know to be successful at it. So, you know, I'll pause there and just say, you know, we are just really, really excited about this brand and where it's gone and what we're doing. So I agree, obviously, as I kind of said, right, the uh, aspect of experience, I just think matters a lot here. And this especially, you know, there are a few other concepts. So I really to the operations obviously matter. There's a lot of things that matter. But I do think this is like a unique case where speed to market can generate maybe more of an outsized result for the brand. So when I looked at Ace versus, you know, the other two players who didn't have franchising experience, it was just to me a no brainer that like, okay, these guys are going to be able to get locations a lot faster and get them open. And, you know, to be like almost a national name in pickleball, you know, I think they have a real shot at being. Yeah. I, I do too. And I, and I'll tell you again, going back to how reliant you are on your franchise or like it or not, you know, was just really uh, the experience that you spoke of and that, you know, we, we found was really a big part of this and, you know, the support along the way, you know, look, it's early in the game. We haven't even opened a location. We've got one under I, construction. So, you know, I always say I'm from Missouri, show me, you know, over time, but every indicator we've gotten from these guys has been really, really favorable. Their yeah. real estate department, the guy they have heading up, you know, Diego is just amazing, has so many contacts. And we agree. We think first to market's important. We think it's going to be successful. You know, people say to me, like, are you afraid of competition? There's so many coming into the market. And I'm like, the appetite for this sport is so large. I don't care if somebody opens five miles away. And, you know, there's not going to be that many of those boxes available, yep. frankly. So that's not a concern. I, I might get knocked <laughs> upside the head, but at this point, it's not a concern, but the support on the construction side, you know, like this is where, uh, you know, knowing your limitations, right? I just have always loved the franchise side of the business because to me, you're paying for brand recognition, you're paying for systems. Ace doesn't have any brand recognition yet, but the systems on the construction side of understanding ceiling heights, understanding, you know, how to, you know, the fencing, the courts, just so many things that we've caught already. Well, not we have, they've caught for us to say, hey, you need to do this. You need to do it this way. And having those vendors, you know, like just chasing all that stuff down. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. So, you know, it's just been really, really good so far. We're a couple of weeks into construction, our first location nice. in he's New Jersey. Yeah, we've got to come to terms on an LOI in a site in uh, Vernon Hills in Chicago. So we're excited about that. We're hoping to get to lease and get that done pretty quickly. Nothing goes quick in this day and age with permitting and construction, but we'll certainly get that unit, you know, that club open this year. And then we're, we have the rights to Orlando. So we're really excited about that market. So, um, 
it's just been great. I mean, these guys have been really, really, they're on it. They have the experience and, um, you know, we're just, and the buzz already in Voorhees. I mean, I live in this market and it's like, everybody's talking about how great it's going to be. So we're, we're excited. When it opens, I'll have to come down and play. Uh, not too far from me. Yeah. Uh, and I love playing pickleball, but yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, so yeah, you've got multiple markets. Did you have uh, like um, almost some type of comparison in your mind from like the business model perspective of, you know, do you look at like, I mean, I guess Handedstone probably has a good number of like members, right? That are just paying for a monthly, yeah. you know, and I think of it in that same light of like, this is like a, this, all the gyms, right? It's membership yeah. model. It, yeah. In a bit respect. Yeah. What I love about the membership model is it's, you know, it's like an annuity. I mean, there's a revenue stream. Like I mentioned earlier about COVID, you know, when we went through COVID, we had members that we said to them, you know, listen, you know, we're going to reopen. You don't lose your membership, unlike a gym, you know, will you stay with us? And they did. And so that annuity kind of that revenue stream coming in from those members. And the other thing that's been really exciting is, you know, these corporate events that they're doing in Roswell, you know, the Roswell club is just doing gangbusters. Um, not a, dis- a lot of disclosure about the numbers, but I can tell you really, really exciting what's happening down there. A lot of corporate events, they've had to limit open play now because their capacity already, you know, so all really, really good signs. And and just to back up for a minute, Wolf, the other thing I do want to point out, you know, is, you know, you, you get a little older, you look for signs and things, you've been around the ropes a little bit. And I will tell you, these guys have been so disciplined. You know, occupancy is your biggest cost in this business. You know, it's, it's going to run, you know, 30% somewhere in that range. And you know, not a ton of payroll, not a lot of employees, which I'd love, you know, I'd need 30 people to run one of these things. And I think a more mature employee, some retired folks that maybe want to run the front desk and sell some memberships, that kind of thing. But yeah. these guys have been so disciplined about not letting us overextend on, you know, gross rent and really like they get it. They get that their franchisees need to make money. And, you know, a lot of times when you're emotionally in something like this and you have a site you want, you're going to push maybe yeah. to do something that in time becomes a mistake. And I have to tell you, it was it's just been really impressed because they're in that mode where they're trying to grow and the, the more units they get open. So, you know, credit to them again, all good signs of, you know, like little things that you look for that tell you like, this is we're in with the right guys, you know? So uh, that's great to hear. Now, uh, I think especially, you know, there's Probably less experienced folks definitely wouldn't know like what to look for. And maybe listen, I mean, how many franchisors have you known that'll sell franchisees down the road in a New York second for bonuses, you know, stock option, you know, like, yeah. I, I mean, it, mission. Yep. Yep. It, everything. Yeah. So, me. you know, when you get in with the right folks and they have a long-term strategy and they have, you know, they care about people and they get that they're only as strong as their franchisees and, and they've been around. And that's what these guys are bringing. So we're excited. Yeah, that's awesome. And now, I mean, I think like just given that yourself and uh, they have a few other franchisees who, uh, I mean, more than a few others, uh, you know, a good handful um, that also come from, you know, some pretty successful franchisee multi-unit operational yeah. backgrounds. So yeah. I think that speaks volumes for, yeah, for kind sure. of, of the, you know, what they're all about. Wow. So you, you got a big, big few years ahead, man. I mean, we're, you're uh Doubling Hand in Stone and building out some Ace Pickleball locations. So 
Yeah, I'm not done yet. I still got some gas left in the tank, <laughs> and I'm having a lot of fun. My wife tells me I'm crazy, but um, we have a great <laughs> life, and uh, and I'm I'm still really enjoying what I'm doing. I love the ch- challenge of opening new units like this, and I, we're excited about Ace, and remain really excited about Hand and Stone. So I, I feel like I'm in with two great brands, which you know is just such a big part of you know the success. Really, is is the franchisor and being with the right brands, and um, I feel like I'm with two really 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 good ones so and papa john's was too I, i've been very fortunate amazing and uh, not that that's obviously uh more than enough for one person's plate but you know as you look towards the future do you think it's just handed down an ace for now or, or are you constantly evaluating you know, I look at your stuff you know i mean i'm going to multi-unit franchise conference i'll kick tires oh, nice I'll Sweet. different things you know but you know, my pattern has been to get something, to get really good at running it operationally, to really get it down. I'm not one of these guys that wants to have 10 brands or anything like that. I just, you know, it's just a different ownership model. I think, you know, some guys are really successful at it and my hat's off to them. Certainly can be done, but you know, my strategy is more of, you know, find something you're, you like, you can get really good at it and then, you know, always keep your eyes open. Yeah. It seems like you go pretty deep in the brands, you know, versus, as you mentioned, some folks go a little wider, whereas you kind of find one, build it up pretty deeply. So it's clearly working, man. So congrats to you, man, and all your success. And yeah, thanks for coming on the pod. You as well. I love your podcast. I think you're doing great work. So I appreciate you having me on. It's really a pleasure and, uh, you know, really uh, continued success for you as well. Great stuff. Yeah. Is there anywhere online where folks can follow you or just yeah, like, watch your journey you know our website yeah. is uh you know for our spas is fggspallc.com so you know there's some in- info on the background of our company and some things like that but yeah i'm on linkedin so you know i'll be at multi-unit franchise conference got the other conference coming up in february and um where the heck am i going i don't even know oh, the IFA? yeah the ifa arizona right yes yeah. yeah, so yep. um be at that too i think i won an award there this year which is nice so nice for the brand so um yeah good stuff awesome all right well uh folks we'll, we'll plug the links to his website and his linkedin in the show notes you can follow along his hand in stone and ace journey and and whatever comes next but yeah eric thanks a lot for uh coming on the show it was a pleasure wolf really nice to meet you and thanks again thanks for listening to franchise empires We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen.